0: put on pause our series in Revelation to look at this issue of holiness and as I studied it's not something new but I realized if you read the whole Bible the whole Bible is about holiness that's God's call for us you can go to any book any passage pretty much and it's about God wanting to call us to salvation and repentance and then after that to make us holy So that's what the the message of the Bible is. So no matter where you go, you see that. I was challenging my son on that in the car as we drove him back to school on Monday. And uh, so he said, yeah, that's an interesting thought. And that's why it's so hard for me not to preach the whole Bible all in one message. Uh, But I've got to restrain myself. I'm going to ask God to restrain me to keep on the topic where we are and on the notes that I've got today. But we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we are going to continue looking at this idea of holiness. We're going to read just a, set, a couple verses this morning, starting at verse 13 down through verse 16. This is God's call for us to be holy as his people. So 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13, the Bible says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. We're going to take a minute and pray, and then we'll uh, get into our message here. Our Father, Lord, we just ask for your help now. As we look into your word, we want to submit ourselves to the authority of your word in our lives. Lord, you know and you have told us that your word has power. It is your power to change lives, to work in us, to do the things that you want to accomplish in our lives and in the lives of others. And so, Lord, help us to submit to it. I pray that you would give us understanding as we look at these passage and other passages today, that you would help us to see what it means, how it applies to us, and how we need to live it each day. And Lord, I pray that as we see your word today, that you would just teach us what it is to be holy, to be a holy people as you've called us to. That is our goal, if we are true followers of you. You've shown us that in your word, and I pray that you would reveal it to us today. And so, Lord, we ask for you to have the preeminence in this time. May you accomplish your work. Lord, give me strength. Fill me with your spirit. Give me voice to speak and wisdom from you, so that we might hear from you and be challenged by your truth, and we'll give you the praise and glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, Amen. As I mentioned, we are continuing on this study of holiness and what is holiness. And this morning, I want to uh, use this analogy of the journey of holiness or the path to holiness because it is an ongoing thing in a believer's life. There's two aspects to holiness that we need to understand. And to understand it, we need to understand the word. Basically, the word means to set apart or to separate for a specific purpose. So in that, God has already made us holy in the Holy Spirit as he has set us apart for his purpose. So we are holy in that aspect. We are dedicated. or sanctified for God's purpose. But then in fulfilling that purpose, he continues to, to make us more like Christ, to bring us into the image of Christ. And that is the idea of a progressive work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to strip away what is not necessary for that purpose and then for God to instill in us what is necessary to fulfill his purpose. So that's what holiness is kind of in a nutshell. But there's that journey that we're all on if we're believers. It is a progressive journey where we are growing in holiness. We never will attain it perfectly, but we should be continuing to go on that that journey and follow that path. Now, as anyone knows, if you go on a trip, hopefully you do this, um, first of all, you need to know where you're going, right? If you decide you're going to take a trip, you decide where you're going to end up, your destination, And then if you're like me, you will then go to Google Maps or something online and say, okay, I want to go here. And then it asks you, where are you starting from? So those are two things that we need to understand in this path to holiness. Where you are trying to get and where you're starting from. And if we don't understand those then we really won't ever get on the path of holiness, and we won't ever understand where we're we're supposed to end up. It's illustrated in this story about a plane that took off from an airport, and after a few hours, it flew into a dense cloud cover. And as the people looked out the window, as the pilot looked out, couldn't see anything, and he could tell the passengers were getting a little nervous, so he flicked on the lights as the the, uh, cabin was starting to get dark from the cloud cover. And as he did there was a spark and then all the lights went off. So the plane inside was completely dark and the people were starting to get afraid. Outside they couldn't see anything so the the, uh, captain went on the intercom and he said, folks I know it's pretty dark here. He said, but don't worry we have good instrumentation here that I can follow that will keep us on course. So they flew along for a little while and Uh, all of a sudden it started to thunder and rain and lightning was starting to flash around them. The the plane started to get bumpy as they hit these air pockets and went through the turbulence. And so the pilot flipped his switch on again for the intercom. He said, "Um, folks, I know that it's a little bumpy here, but we're still on course. And just as he said that, a bolt of lightning hit the plane and all of his instrumentation went black. And he sat there for a minute trying to think, how can I encourage the people now? And finally, he flipped his intercom back on. He said, Okay, folks, the bad news is I've lost my instrumentation and I really have no idea where we're going. But the good news is we're making great time. Now, that's how a lot of people approach their spiritual walk or this path of holiness. They really have no idea where they're going, but they're going 100 miles an hour forward, wherever they're headed. Okay, that idea may not really help us. Because if we don't know where we're supposed to be headed, we don't know if we're ever going to get there. And we may end up totally wrong in where we end up in our Christian walk. Because we don't have the goals set in mind and we don't have our eyes fixed on that. But many Christians approach this issue of holiness just like this pilot. Well, I have no idea where I'm going, but I'm going to go as fast as I can and as hard as I can. That won't help us. The state, what, what is true of the path of holiness is we have to know, first of all, where we're starting and where we're headed. We've got to know what direction we're going. And so as we look at holiness today, I want us to understand that when God calls us to holiness in First Peter, there is a destination that he has in mind. It's not our decision. God decides what holiness is. He's defined it for us so if we don't take his definition, if we don't understand it from his perspective, we're going to just wander around our whole lives spiritually, basically in the dark, not knowing where we're going. Okay? Now, I want you to go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at what he says in these verses. I'm going to read this passage again and then quickly just go over the context here. He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right. First of all, there's a change that has to take place. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, we've talked the last two weeks about our thinking has to be programmed or changed by the word of God and by his truth. If that never happens, holiness will never happen because our thinking is what guides us. And our thinking, what we understand from the truth, is what the Holy Spirit uses to push us along this path in the right direction. So he says, gird up the loins of your mind. The picture is back in Bible days when people were going to go out to work. They would wear robes, but they would take the robe, the hem of the robe from the back and pull it up in the front and then tuck it in and, and bind it with a belt so that it was basically like shorts for them. And that was their work outfit. So he's saying, okay... Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready to do the work that's necessary to understand what I'm about to say. And he goes on and he says, God has called us to holiness. It's going to take work. So be ready in your mind for this. And he says, be sober, serious, focused, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the goal so that our hope is not in vain. We're hoping, we're looking toward that good end that God has planned for us. His results. In verse 14, he goes on, he says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance. There's the contrast. We are now to be obedient children, focused and obeying God, rather than As he puts it, fashioning ourselves, according to the former lusts, in ignorance. Remember, that has to do with our mind, our thinking. And we used to be living for ourselves, he says. Holiness changes that. We no longer live for ourselves. And then he says in verse 15, But as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, here's the question. Most Christians understand, yes, God has called us to holiness. Okay? That is his goal for us. But what is the definition of holiness? Now, there are lots of definitions of holiness that people have put forth. Back in the 1700s and 1800s, there was a man named Noyce, and he was actually the founder, if you want to call him the founder, of a thinking that... We could actually achieve spiritual perfection on earth before we died. And he basically said, when God saves us, his Holy Spirit washes us from sin. And then in a second baptism of the Spirit, we are made perfectly holy and without sin like Jesus Christ. Now, here's the problem with that thinking. We still have the effects of sin in our body. We still have the curse of sin in our life. We still have and fight the old nature. Okay? The Bible makes that very clear. Now, in Dr. Noyce's teachings, he also taught that you could lose that perfection. So if you could lose it, it really wasn't perfection, obviously. Okay? And it bred many false teachings out of that idea. Now, I've said this before. When God calls us to be holy, it's not a call for something that's impossible for us to do, okay? We can be holy. God has made it possible. He's the God of the impossible, so God can make us holy. And I said, well, here's what holiness looks like. If we were to be, if we could, sinlessly perfect, it would be a life where we never listened to our lusts and let that control of us, and we always listened to the Holy Spirit and did only that which he led us to do. Because the Holy Spirit will never lead us to sin. So if we did that, we could be perfect and holy in our lives. The problem is we're all still battling the flesh. And sometimes we lose that battle, and that's what causes us to sin. So what Peter's telling us here is this. Here's what we used to be. Here was our old destination, serving self, pleasing self, fulfilling my own goals, my own life, living my own life. That's what we used to be. He said there needs to be a change of direction and a change in your destination. He talks about the hope. When we're saved, our destination changes. Before we're saved, our destination is hell, condemnation and eternity. After we're saved, our destination is now heaven, an eternity with God. The Holy One. Okay? So, in that destination change, then, our direction has to change. And that's what he says in verse 14. Stop living the old way, the way you used to. Now there's a new direction that you have to go. So, we've changed our course, Peter says. And the course is a change in our thinking, our thinking has to change. Again, in uh, verses 15, he says, So he has, which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That was not our goal. That was not what we were thinking about before God saved us. We didn't care if we were holy. All we cared about is what I wanted. Okay. So when God has called us to holiness, we have to have a change in our thinking. We know that. But today I want to try to outline for you and describe for you what that change in thinking looks like, because holiness is not a change in outward performance or a change in the rules that we follow or anything that we can do outwardly in our lives. It is not about conforming to new rules or setting new standards for ourselves. That's called legalism. We think because we have new rules and we live up to these rules, that makes me holy. See, that's backwards. It's like saying, well, if I'm a good person, if I do good things, if I sacrifice myself, then I'll be saved. Works-based salvation doesn't work. And works-based holiness doesn't work either. It's a change in our thinking. We have to get outside of the I can make myself saved or I can make myself holy thinking. And that's what Peter tells us here. Holiness is of God. Holiness means we become like god in our character in our nature we don't become god but his nature starts to show through us so there's a major change in the direction of our thinking and living that has to take place and this is what paul means in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 when he says if any man be in christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new change in direction Change in thinking, change in lifestyle, change in everything, Paul says. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. Again, Paul is saying, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, there's the old life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So there's a putting off of the old, a putting on of the new. That's the thinking process that has to change, not just an outward performance. In Colossians chapter 3, he says the same thing. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. See, now it's a difference in what what our goals are, what we desire for our lives. Seek those things which are above. In verse 2, he says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So there's an obvious change that has to take place. And it's not just in the outward, it's the inward, the thinking process, the heart of the matter. So holiness starts with a change in thinking. And it means As I mentioned already, to be set apart for a different purpose. And that's part of our thinking. We no longer live for ourselves. In holiness, now we live only for God. A different purpose. We exist not to have a good life, not to enjoy ourselves, not to be comfortable, not to attain things for ourselves, not to make a great name for ourselves. We exist to be a tool for God to use, a new purpose, okay? Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, and here's the purpose, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's the new purpose. Now, I've asked this question before, why did God save you? What was his purpose in saving you? You know, I think some people think, well, God put another notch in his belt. Yep, there's another one, there's another one. No, that's not the point, okay? The other point is not so your life can be better. God did not save you so that your life will be more comfortable, so that you will have all the things that you want and all the things that you need. In fact, the Bible tells us that if we are saved, we can expect suffering and persecution, persecution. Christ said that himself. Christ experienced that himself, and it's not going to be any different for us. So God did not save us so that our lives could be better and more comfortable. God saves us for his purpose, and his purpose in saving us is to glorify himself. Now, specifically, how he does that is through holiness. God is a holy God. We know that. The Bible teaches that. He is perfect in everything. He is absolutely without sin. But holiness is more than just him not having sin. Holiness encompasses all of his character, his justice, his mercy, his wrath even. All of the components of God's character are perfect and complete. They cannot get any better, and because of that, that makes him a holy God, a perfect God. It's his holiness that is the essence of his nature. Now, when he calls us to holiness, then, he's not saying you have to be perfect in your nature, because we can't. What he's saying is you have to reflect God's perfect nature. And that's why he saves us, so that through holy Christian lives, he shows himself through us. And that's how we give him the glory. That's why it's important for us to understand that salvation is about humility. It's not about me. It's all about God. God saves us to instill his character in us so that through us, he can show the world who he is and bring more people to himself. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Paul is talking about husbands and wives, but he uses that as an analogy to teach a lesson. He says, husbands, love your wives even as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That he, that, here's the purpose for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word. There's the thinking being changed by God's word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So, holiness basically can be defined this way when God replaces what we are with what He is in us. Removing self and putting in Himself. That's the process of holiness. And He does it for His purpose. And that's why we're called to be holy as believers, because it's the grand purpose of God to show Himself through our lives. Every one of us as believers and corporately as a church, we show to the world a picture of God. This is what God is. That's how we live. That's the message we proclaim in our lives to people who are unsaved. This is what God is like. Now, as people look at Christians and see their lives, many times they get a faulty picture of God. Because we don't live the way God wants us to live. We don't reflect his character in our choices and therefore the picture is skewed it's perverted and then people outside go well yeah you you call yourself a Christian you call yourself religious look at where you live you're worse than I am I had a grandfather on my mother's side didn't get saved for many years his excuse was this I'm a much better person than all those people in the church and I know them because I work with them there's no reason why I want to become like that Christians are not concerned about holiness because Christians don't want to accept God's purpose for their life. So God has a purpose. And if our purpose is the same as God's purpose, and if our purpose is to fulfill God's plan, then becoming holy should be our greatest desire as believers. Because now we're accepting God's purpose. And it can only happen as we travel this path and as we progress along this path of holiness. So it's a change in direction, a change in thinking, but it's also a change in motivation. Okay? Many people possibly get saved because they're afraid of going to hell. Okay? I'm not saying that's a wrong motivation. I'm going to say that's an immature motivation. But that's what scares us, right? The fear of going to hell, the fear of eternal punishment. And all of a sudden, we have to sit up and take notice. Hey, I don't want to end up like that. What's the solution? And then we see the gospel, and Jesus Christ died for our sins. And so we accept that in faith. But that motivation has to change. Because to get saved only for the purpose of self-preservation, see, that's the old thinking. Even if it's in eternity, it's still the old thinking. And if I get saved just because, wow, we have a great God now, and God's going to do all these wonderful things for me, and he can do miracles, and he's going to provide my needs, and he's going to take care of me. If that's my motivation to get saved, it's still the old thinking. It's all about me. See, we have to progress beyond that in holiness. And holiness, again, that change of thinking where we understand salvation to be Again, God did not save me to make my life better. Therefore, my motivation for salvation, my motivation for holiness, is not so God will look at me and see, oh, he's a good Christian. I'm going to throw blessings down on him. Because that's selfishness. Our motivation changes in holiness where we understand we are just the tools that God wants to use, and he is the master. And therefore, Our motivation is not, well, I have to do these things so I can get all these rewards. See, that's duty. If I do everything I'm supposed to, I'll be okay. That's legalism. Our motivation for living a holy life should change, and it should be, I want to do what God wants me to do because I love him. Regardless of what I get for it, I love God. And all that matters to me is to please him, to become like him, because that's what he wants for me. Nothing else matters. That was Paul's attitude. And when you read about the apostle Paul's life, man, he suffered more than any of us will ever suffer. He went through circumstances that none of us will ever face, and yet he was all about serving the Lord, absolutely. His faith was not so that God would bless him, His faith was so that the name of Jesus would be blessed. That was it. And so our motivation changes from duty or fear even to absolute love. You know, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. We were talking about loving God determines where you are on that path to holiness. How do I love God? Is my love for God only? I love him because of all the things he does for me. That's a selfish love. Or is my love for God, I love him because he loved me first, and therefore all I want is to please him. I do not want to disappoint God. And it has nothing to do with being afraid of consequences. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, John tells us there is no fear in love. If we only do the things that we're supposed to do as Christians, if we only embark on this journey to holiness because we're afraid of what's going to happen to us if we don't, that's fear. And 1 John says there's no fear in love. See, we have to change from serving out of fear to serving in love. That's the process of holiness. Those things will change. John says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear hath torment. Is God waiting to step on me if I do something wrong? That's the torment we live in. But if we understand God correctly and we understand what he wants for us correctly, we know God's not waiting to step on us. God's waiting to lift us up. He's waiting to help us. He's waiting for us to rely on him for everything in love, and to serve him in love. And so we progress in holiness beyond the I have to do this because it's my duty or I have to do this because if I don't, God's going to step on me, to I have to do this because I want to for the God I love. doesn't matter what happens after that. It's only because I love him. See, that's the mark of maturity or completeness or becoming perfect in the language of Scripture. It's progressing beyond that immature thinking. And this is the mark of being on the path to holiness. So there's a change that happens when we get saved, when we start this journey to holiness. It begins in our thinking. It's about our motivations. It's about understanding our purpose. But we have to understand the destination that we're headed. How do I know if I'm going in the right direction? How do I know what the destination is, what it's supposed to look like? Remember, we have a new destination. It's not just heaven. Our destination in life is to become more like Jesus Christ. That's our destination, to become like Christ. If that's not where we're going, we're on the wrong path. Okay. So when we ask this question, what's the destination of holiness? We have to go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, "But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation." So what is our goal in holiness? To become holy like Christ. Let me go. Wait, put on the brakes. I'm not Jesus Christ. I'm not God. I can't do that. Absolutely right. You can't That's why you have to let God do it in you. You can't do it. None of us can. None of us can save ourselves. None of us can make ourselves holy. But God can make us holy. God can do that work in us. And so he has called us basically not to try to make ourselves better. He's called us to surrender and let him do the work that he wants to do. That's the path to holiness. That's the thinking that has to accompany the journey on ho- to holiness. So our holiness is supposed to look like God's holiness. And when we think of God's holiness, we have to obviously start with God's utter separation from sin. That's what he wants to call us to, to bring us to. Separation from sin. Get rid of sin. Impart into us his character. And you say, well, wait a minute, you just said get rid of self before and impart to us his character. Same thing. If we focus on self, that's sin. That's what the Bible defines it as. If we focus on God, if we become more like him, if we let him do his work, if we let him have his purpose, if we submit to, to his goals, to his process, that's holiness. But if it's about me, that's sin. So when we think of God's holiness, we have to think about utter separation from sin. And that's what God's called us to. God created the world. In Genesis 1, we read that. He created everything that has been created, including man and woman. And remember, when he created all of creation, it was perfect. He made a holy creation. And in fact, he made perfectly holy people. They were perfect. Adam and Eve had no sin in them. They were made in the image of God, holy, just like God was holy. So what happened? Sin. They rebelled. And they marred and perverted the image that was in them of God and went their own way. But God created everything holy. I already mentioned Revelation chapter 4. God is holy. In Revelation chapter 15, it is proclaimed that God alone is holy. And we can go through the whole Bible and look at passages in Job in uh, the law of God in the Old Testament and see where God over and over proclaims himself to be holy and people worship him as holy. The angels in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4 circle his throne proclaiming holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. So there's our starting point. But there's more to his, his holiness than just separation from sin. We, again, we can talk about all of his character, but we want to focus on that one point for the purpose of practicality. We are called to be holy to become separate from sin. Now, it's not outward. The outward will happen, but where does it have to start in my thinking? In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, Paul is talking to all believers, and he says, Wherefore, come out from among them. That's talking about sinful people and the world's philosophy. He says, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We are called to become separate from the system of sin in our world. And again, we can say, Well, you know, I can't do that. I'm only human. Yes, but God can. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 it says, and the peace of the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. W-H O L L Y. It means entirely, completely. The very God of peace sanctify you, make you holy completely. He can. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. Unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's praying in 1 Thessalonians 5 is for this earth. It's not saying, well, don't worry about it. You're going to be made perfected when you get to heaven, so just kind of survive until you get there. He's saying his prayer is because it can happen that God would preserve our spirit and soul and body, everything about us, blameless without sin. And it starts with our thinking. And the problem is, we are trying to measure ourselves on the outside and look at that and define our holiness rather than what's on the inside. We're looking at the wrong thing. And unfortunately, when we look on the inside, we see something different than what God sees because we want to be our own, we don't want to be our own best critics, our own worst critics, okay? We want to look at ourselves and say, hey, I'm not so bad. God looks at us and he sees what's bad. Okay, So when we look at holiness, we have to look at the inside. And again, our thinking process. So what's the example we have? Jesus Christ. Now we can say, well, Jesus Christ was God, blah, blah, blah. He is God. I'm not going to dispute that. But when he came to earth, he was 100% human. He had a human body that goes through all the things that our human body goes through. Same feelings, same pain, same hunger, same thirst, same desires, same attractions, same temptations. There was nothing that we can experience that Jesus Christ did not go through. And yet Hebrews 4.15 tells us, he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. So as a human being, a man on this earth, Jesus lived In perfect holiness. There is the example for us. That's what we're supposed to become. That's what God wants for us. The difference between us and Jesus, obviously he was God, but as a man, the only difference between us and Jesus is that even as Jesus existed in the world, the world did not exist in him. And there's our problem. We want The world we make this our home our destination we settle down and we get comfortable and we adopt the thinking of the world Jesus didn't and that's what made him holy as a man he lived the human life as a holy person and he set the standard for which we are supposed to strive now, again, we're not ever going to get there perfectly, but that's the goal, and that's what we should continually be being moved, being moved to. And just because we can't get there in this life perfectly doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to try to strive for that goal. That's our purpose. That's what God wants to change in us. He wants to make us more like Christ. In Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is in us, and his job is, again, to make us more like Christ, to remove self that's interfering with that, and to instill in us the character of God. Okay? That's the process of holiness. The Apostle Paul had the right mindset. He knew we can't get there perfectly on earth, but in Philippians 3, he says this in verses 12 through 14, not as though I had already attained. He's saying, I know I'm not there. Either we're already perfect, I'm not perfect yet, but I follow after that I may apprehend that which for I also am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Now, what he's saying there is my goal is, has become the goal for which God saved me. That's my purpose now, as we just talked about. In verse 13, he goes on, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I am not there yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." He basically says, I'm going to stop looking at the past. I'm going to stop looking at my past life and all of my accomplishments even. I'm going to focus on the goal, to become like Christ. That's all that matters. And that's the prize, to become like Christ. What do I get out of it? To become like Christ. No, no, no. What do I get out of it? To become like Christ, so that God can be glorified. If you want anything else, you've got the wrong purpose and the wrong goal. See, it's not about us. It's all about God. So our lives and holiness on this earth should look more and more like Jesus' life as he lived on this earth. We are to treat others the way he treated them. We're to love others as he loved them. We're to make important the things that were important to him. We are to avoid the things that he avoided. We're to become like Jesus Christ. Not on the outside only, but on the inside. In our thinking. So how do we do that? Philippians chapter 2. If you'll go there, we're going to spend the rest of our time right here just for a few minutes. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Because it defines for us the mind of Christ. Remember, it's all about our thinking. So if we are to become like Christ, then we are to have the mind of Christ. We have to think like him. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, describe this for us. Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. All right, we're on the right path. Here's the mind of Christ. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That was the mind of Jesus Christ. And that is the mindset of someone who is on the path to holiness. Now there's four elements here I want to point out very quickly. But I want you to see these. Because here is the mind of Christ that we have to adopt. That we have to have changed in us if we are to become holy. First of all, it says, he in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. No reputation. That means he did not care what people thought about him or what people said about him. It wasn't about his reputation. It didn't matter that he was ridiculed, that he was falsely accused, or even that he was called a servant of Satan by some of the Pharisees. He didn't fight for that. He just said the truth and lived the truth. He didn't defend himself. He only defended God the Father and the truth of God. Because it wasn't about him. As a man, it wasn't about Jesus Christ. Every time someone came to him and tried to say, hey, you're the Messiah, let's set you up as king, he said, no. Nope, that's not my purpose. Glorify God worship God. It wasn't about him. Christ did not come to earth to establish a great reputation for himself. Christ came to earth to point men to God. That was his purpose. And he did that through his life and through his death and made it possible for us not just to be pointed to God but to be reconciled with God. And Jesus didn't care what happened to him Or what people said about him, or what people thought about him as he fulfilled that purpose. He made himself of no reputation. He came to save sinners and lost people. That's what he said. In fact, he sat and ate with prostitutes, with tax collectors, so he could give them the truth of redemption. The Pharisees criticized him for that. He called 12 misfits many of whom were the lowest in society to be his disciples. None of them were qualified. Fishermen, tax collectors, other lowlifes. And that's who he used to change the world. He was criticized for that, too. He was criticized by the religious elite for everything that he did. But it didn't matter what people said. It didn't matter to him what people believed about him. All that mattered was what they believed about God... And his purpose to point people to God. And that's the same attitude we have to have about ourselves. That's that change in thinking. I do not exist here to continue to defend myself and establish my own reputation on this earth as a good person. That's not our purpose. But we're so concerned about what other people think about us. We're so concerned about what other people will say about us. We spend all our time trying to defend ourselves, and we completely miss what God's trying to do through us because it's all about me. The mind of Christ, no reputation, didn't matter to him. All that mattered was that people were pointed to God. And your reputation doesn't matter as long as you're doing what God has called you to do. That's the right mindset. Second, it says he he became a servant. He became a servant. Christ did not come to serve. Christ came to serve. I'm sorry, to be served. He came to serve others. Okay? Remember, we're talking about the creator of the universe. The king of kings, the lord of lords the Almighty One, the Ancient of Days, and he came as a man and served. A great example is the Last Supper. Jesus invited the disciples, and he was hosting this supper. It was a celebration of the Passover feast. Jesus was the host. He said, go get this room. I'm going to get everything ready. You meet me there. And what did he do when the disciples came in? He took off his robe, he kneeled down, and he washed their feet. Because it wasn't about him. See, he represented a servant because he had a servant's heart. That's the mindset that brings us to holiness. I am not here to be served. I am not here to get served. I am here only to serve. And there's not a time in my life when it's my turn to be served. People want this equality. You know, it goes both ways. No, it doesn't go both ways. Love goes one way. We serve other people. Period. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He was sent to be a servant, and he fully embraced that role, and he gave up immortality and all heaven's glory to become a mortal, finite, afflicted human being who was not respected who was not revered. In fact, he was at the lowest level of society as a servant, and people rejected him. But he served, regardless of what people thought about him. And that's the attitude of a servant. That's the mindset of a servant that people, as believers, have to have. It's not about our reputation, and we are only here to serve. Not to be served. Not to get for ourselves. Third, it says, he humbled himself. Now, the verse says humbled himself. This is a verb, not an adjective, okay? He was humble, but he humbled himself. There's a, more of an aspect here of submission. He submitted himself to whatever God's purpose was and whatever he had to go through to fulfill that. He put aside everything else and became a servant, humbled himself. He submitted To God's will. He submitted himself to his father's will. He submitted himself to the needs of others on this earth above his own. He submitted to the earthly authorities that God had put in place on this earth at that time. He submitted himself to the life that God had called him to. To live that life. Remember, he had no place to lay his head, the Bible says. He accepted whatever accommodations people offered him. And if they didn't, he slept wherever he could. He ate whatever food he could find and whatever people offered him. He was humble. In fact, he didn't even make choices of his own. He told many people, I'm not here to fulfill my own will. I'm here only to fulfill the will of the Father. He didn't even make his own choices. Only that which the Father told him. And he completely and perfectly submitted himself to God the Father and to the needs of other people. That's why he came. If it wasn't for our need, Jesus didn't have to come. So his whole life was about submission to the needs of others. And that's what the mindset of Christ is that we need to adopt if we're going to become holy, that we are here to be submissive to God, number one, and to be submissive to the needs of others, number two, period. Christian life is all about submission. It's not about exalting myself. It's not about proclaiming myself to be the authority, or I know this, or I No. We are called to submission. Submission to God and submission to others. Let me just give you some examples of holiness being defined by submission. In James chapter 4, verse 7, we are told to submit ourselves to God. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In First Peter, chapter 2, verse 13, it tells us to submit ourselves to the authorities of the law and the government leaders above us. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. That's what it says in First Peter 2:13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse seven tells us to submit to our spiritual leaders, specifically the elders in the church, who are trying to work to help save our souls. That's basically their purpose, and we're to submit to them. In Ephesians chapter 5, I already read this section. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And then it says, husbands love your wives, but the love carries a submission to the needs of your wife, and that's what defines love. And so it's submission. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it's Peter's address to the elders, and he says, the younger elders, submit yourselves to the older elders. But then he goes on and he says, every one of us submit ourselves to everybody else. We all submit to each other. What does the other person need? That's what I submit to. So everything about the Christian life is defined by submission. And the attitude of submission is required for us to become holy like Christ was. It's a mindset. I am not to set myself up. I am not to be the law. I am not to be God. I am not to be other people's judge. I am a servant and I need to submit to their needs. That's what Jesus was. So fourth, it says he became obedient unto death. He did not value his life or try to preserve it. Now, Jesus knew when he came to earth that he came for the purpose of dying. That was the main goal. He came to die because that's what we needed. And it wasn't easy for him as a man to accept that fate. In his spirit, he knew that was what God had called him to. That was his purpose. But remember, on the very night that he was arrested, he went to the garden to pray. And as he was praying, he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Twice. He didn't want to, as a human, go through that level of suffering. And as God, he did not want, as a holy God, to have to take on all the sin of the world and become sin for us. That was not his desire. And so he prayed, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. But what follows is the most important part. He said, but not my will but thine be done. None of us wants to suffer. None of us wants to die for Christ. None of us wants to have to give up something in order to serve the Lord. But it's not about what we want. Not my will, but thine be done. And even if it comes to God taking our life, are you willing? Now in a sense, he wants to take your life. Because in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says we are to present ourselves a living sacrifice. All through the epistles, Paul makes reference to mortifying the flesh, to giving up self. So we are to be willing to die to ourselves, to give up my life. Jesus did. He did it physically. And if God calls you to the purpose of through your death, he is glorified. Is that okay with you? See, that's the mind of Christ. And Jesus said, whoever saves his life will lose it, but he who is willing to give up his life will save it. If we can't let go of ourselves, we will never become holy because we don't have the mind of Christ. On January 8th in 1956, While attempting to make contact with the people of the Aka Indians in Ecuador, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries were speared to death as they landed their helicopter. They were there to bring them the scripture, to give them the gospel, and they were killed. They gave up their lives, fulfilling the purpose that God had for them. And you say, well, they didn't fulfill it. Actually, they did. Because it wasn't many years later that Jim Elliot's wife took her young daughter and went to live with the very people that had killed her husband. And almost the entire tribe was saved. See, that's the attitude of holiness. That's the mindset that Jesus wants us to have. Whatever it costs me, it doesn't matter. I'm not concerned with my own reputation, I'm only concerned with serving other people. I'm going to be submissive to God's will, to authority, and to other people's needs. And I am willing to be that living sacrifice. Whatever it takes, whatever God wants to take, I'll give it up so that God can accomplish his purpose in me. That's the destination, that's where we're headed. If you have any other destination in mind when we talk about holiness, you're on the wrong path. But all we have to do is look at the mind of Jesus Christ. The question is, where are you now? Where are you now on that journey? We all started as absolute sinners... Romans chapter 3 defines that. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Paul goes on and on. It's easy. We're worthless. We have no good in us. There's nothing we can do. And whether you're saved or not, you still have a sin nature by virtue of birth on this earth that keeps pulling you back to what you used to be. That's Satan. He's trying to destroy the work of God. He wants us to live for another purpose other than glorifying God and having his character reflected in our lives. Paul defines that struggle in Romans 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, I know I'm spiritual, but I'm carnal. You know, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. I do. Because we fight against that fleshly lust. We fight against that old man, that old nature in us, the sin, the curse of sin that still resides in our flesh. And that's why we're not holy. Pastor John MacArthur describes it this way. There's a rottenness, there's a corruption on the inside that makes us susceptible to all these wicked influences. And the more we expose ourselves to the influence of sin, the more we will be drawn back into sin. But as the redeemed of Christ, we're not bound by sin. Romans 6 defines that for us. It says we are freed from the bondage of sin. We are freed. We are no longer under the law. The law is what condemns us. We're not under that anymore. It's not condemnation. We're under grace. Grace frees us. But then he goes on. He says, so because of grace, should we sin more? God forbid. Because God has called us to a different purpose other than satisfying myself. And so our thinking in holiness is to separate ourselves from the world in our thinking and make our thinking become like Jesus Christ. That's what holiness is defined by. James one twenty seven. it's one of my favorite verses, it says pure religion. If you want to find out what real salvation, real religion looks like, here it is. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Fatherless is orphans. Widows are people who have no one to take care of them. Old women who their husband has died. Okay? They're poor. And in these days, they didn't have retirement funds and all the stuff that we have at our disposal. Basically, they were dependent on other people to take care of them. Many times, orphans were sold into slavery. Widows were left basically to starve to death. We we can read about that when Elijah comes and multiplies the meal and oil for the widow and her son. Okay? So they were nothing. They have no means to pay you back, is the idea here. And he says, that's true religion, to help those people who can't pay you back, submitting ourselves to the needs of others. And then he says, that and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Don't let the world's influence Infiltrate your thinking. So, all of us are somewhere on this journey, on this path to holiness, but all of us are still short of the goal. The question is are you moving forward in the right mindset? Or have you defined your own holiness and are off on some other journey that's not going to get you anywhere? It's like walking around in the woods in the dark. Many Christians live this way. I've got my own idea of what holiness should be. They're wandering around in the dark in the woods, bumping into trees, but they're moving ahead as fast as they can and have no idea where they're going. I want us to understand where we're going. Because if we don't have that, then we're not going anywhere. We're to become of the same mind as Christ. That's what holiness is all about. Servanthood, humbleness, submission, giving up my life of no reputation. That's the mind that brings us to holiness. We're not there yet. And we're all short of where God wants us to be. But... We have the Spirit of God and His Word that's going to teach us what is right, to convict us when we're wrong, and to continue to empower us to go in the right direction. The only question that's left is whether you're going to submit to God's way and submit to His work and His purpose so that you can get there. As long as you're in control, you're on the wrong path. Lord, thank you again for your love for us. We thank you for your word. And we know that we are not what you want us to be. And as we look at ourselves, we have to remember not to look at all the things that we can show you about our goodness. We have to focus on all the things that you want to get rid of because they don't meet the standard of holiness according to the mind of Christ. Lord, help us to grow in that way. Make us more submissive, make us more humble, make us more aware of the needs of others and focused on serving others in our lives. And above all else, we want your character, your nature to be reflected in our lives so that you get all the glory for it. It's not about us, it's all about you. So help us to lift up your name in the way we live, to point people to you rather than to ourselves, so that your goal is accomplished and we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn is 388, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Familiar hymn, but I don't think many people, many Christians, really believe it or want this. They want their own way. They want to impose their own way on God. But this is the attitude of submission and of